Hey, everybody. Just want to give you a heads up. This week is a little different week than normal. So we had some bonus content. You had the Cub, the Cup of Cubby Blue podcast we had earlier. We had the Tigers Roundtable number five. We got more content this week. Evan Woodbury of MLive joins us as we were talking about the season and pretty much his thoughts overall of how things are going for the Tigers. Talked a little bit of the trade deadline. And then afterwards, we have a special treat for you, a special guest, the author of the Cooperstown Casebook, Jay Jaffe, joins us to talk Lou Whitaker, Bill Freehand, a little bit more. So enjoy this non-traditional week. We'll be back to ask questions. Of course, you always ask us questions. Me at Rogcast81, of course, Chris Brown at 0914 on Twitter. And we also have an email that we'll be putting out there. So tigerssrd at gmail.com. It's that simple. So if you have questions for us and you want to email us during the week, tigerssrd at gmail.com. So we look forward to talking to you soon. and Enjoy this week's special podcast presentation. And welcome back to Tigers SRD. We are pleased to be joined by MLive's Tigers beat writer, Evan Woodbury. Uh, Evan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Uh, not bad. We have been, uh, it's been an interesting stretch of games here for the Tigers, that's for sure. Um, we were, you know, kind of kind of wanted to get your uh, your take, your pulse on the team right now. We were heading to the trade deadline. Uh, they brought up some young kids. We want to see, uh, you know, some, some of your thoughts about uh, what's going on these days. So, I don't know. I guess even before that, we'll start with a broader question uh, since you're around the baseball all the time. Uh, how do you feel like the league in general has been handling the pandemic? You know, it, it, honestly, there were so many naysayers and so many doubters about whether the season could get off the ground or, or whether it could go to its completion. And, and obviously we haven't reached the finish line yet, but we're going to hit the, the halfway point this week. And, you know, they've done it so far. The only thing that that gives me pause, and I really haven't been given a good answer for how for what would happen if you have a Marlins type situation either in the playoffs or in say the last week of the regular season. Uh, what do you do then? And I don't there's I don't think there is a good answer for that, um, mm. and I don't know what they would do. And that's the one thing. As much as I'd like to declare victory and say, "Wow, they really did it! Great job." that's the one thing that's causing me to, to pause and say, well, let's, let's hold on until we reach the finish line, because that's, you know, the, the, over the course of 60 games, yes, it's going to be really challenging for the Cardinals and Marlins to make up all those games, but they can do it with a ton of double headers, but you get to the playoffs and, or the last week of the regular season, you just can't have the entire league waiting on one team uh, to emerge from, from the quarantine process like they've done with the Marlins and, and Cardinals. And I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, you, yes, you could do a bubble, but, you know, bubbles are not impenetrable either. And in theory, they're supposed to have some sort of, you know, what it, akin to a traveling bubble of sorts during the regular season. So it's not over yet, but I, I am encouraged. And, you know, I think uh, I'm glad I'm glad there's baseball this year. I'm, I think it's better to have a really weird season than, than no season at all. Yeah. And, you know, the Tigers themselves have, have seemed to do pretty well with this. I, um, you know, they haven't had any cases since the the season began you know, they had I think every team had some players come in to summer camp with issues but uh and what's what's it like heading down to the park there do they uh is it like going anywhere else where they give you temperature checks and stuff like that yeah and the protocols are pretty strict uh you know even though we're essentially outdoors the whole time even the, the press box windows have to stay open for instance so we're i mean we're essentially outdoors but we still have to wear masks all the time 
Uh, we have to be, you know, social distancing, obviously, all the time. They've made a one-way walkway through the press box to go in and out. So in theory, you shouldn't even be, you know, approaching another person. I mean, it is kind of weird because you basically, I get to the game instead of getting there, you know, four hours early, like normal, I get there just before first pitch to limit the amount of time I have to wear a mask. I really don't interact with my other sports writers because we're sitting so far away from each other and, and we're wearing masks and it's just kind of a weird feeling. Um, but you know, obviously it's, it's the only way to do it. And I'm not traveling this year. I'm not going on the road just because the, you know, the, the headaches and the, the cost really don't justify the, the value of going on the road. I do like getting the full view of the field that helps a lot and not being solely reliant on what the TV is showing you, but that's as much as that's an advantage, it's not worth going on the road for. So uh, it's a weird year, but I understand why it's a weird year. And, you know, well, it's uh, in the whole scheme of things, it's a pretty small sacrifice to make. And so how are you? Are you just, uh, are you watching the games from home basically, or do you, do you head somewhere else? Is there like a, a place in America where writers go to watch the games? During home game, I'm, the, I'm at the press box, just like it's a normal game. Uh, during road games, I'm watching from my couch, just like everybody sure. else. And in fact, I, right some writers are traveling, but I would say the vast majority um, are staying at home just because it's it's so tough to justify. Like we we like, for example, visiting writers coming through Detroit. We've seen, you know, maybe one or two, but by and large, mm -hmm. it's it's just a it's a small small group of us at the home games. Yeah, I was I was kind of curious how that worked, and especially. When I know that Dan Dickerson does some of the some of the games away from my, I think it was the the series a couple of weeks back where he was doing the games the away games from Comerica. And speaking of Comerica, so last night we looked Casey Myers making his home start, a nice strike out there with the split finger. And this some of the growing pains are going to bound to happen. And the other the other thing I noticed last night was Christian Stewart, who was getting pelted on Tigers Twitter, came up with a home run, and. Some of the struggles with him in terms of just making hard, hard hit contact, and then that the outfield goof up he had yesterday. The Tigers don't really, if you if you think about it in terms of the outfield situation right now, it, to me at least, the outfield depth has to be a, a concern at some point here, just because with Stewart's struggles and Demers back down Toledo, the, does the outfield depth concern you at all right now at this point? Yeah, I mean it's not ideal. I mean the. Real, realistically, I mean, just take third base, for example, where, you know, there's kind of a, a backlog of guys that potentially will get chances. Dawell Lugo had his chance last year, failed. Jamer uh, got a chance, moved to first base. Now we're seeing Isak. Is, after Isak, you've got Torque in the system. In, you know, so you've got, you've got a lot of guys and you've got a lot of room for error there, but they really, as far as corner outfielders, uh, there's not a, a real pipeline ready to go there. And to me, that's why that's the best argument for giving Christian Stewart a long leash this year, because there really aren't any better short-term options right now. I like Derek Hill a lot, but I don't think he's an everyday player now. And I don't think he's probably an everyday player ever. I think he's just a nice guy to have at the bottom of the roster and maybe be a pinch runner and defensive substitute and, and things like that. And maybe if everything comes together perfectly, he hits a little bit. As far as like a long-term, especially a corner outfielder option, I, I don't think that's that's realistic. Uh, Daz Cameron, maybe, well, he's not ready right now, but maybe he plays anyway just to give him a couple of knows. But really in the big picture, I would rather see Christian Stewart than Jorge Bonifacio. I would rather see Christian Stewart than Ken Aben. Uh, 
And if you get to the end of the year and he's still struggling and you go into the winter and say, okay, that we need to find a, a solution here. And maybe it's just a short-term guy that you plug in through free agency, like a, like you did for CJ Cronin at first base or Jonathan Scope at second base, uh, just for a year to tide you over. You look corner after. But uh, at this point, as much as it's frustrating to watch Christian Stewart struggle, I would I would probably see him struggle than than see Jorge Bonifacio strike out a bunch or something like that. You know, it's it's I would I would take the the lumps right now. Um, and then, you know, if you have more data points at the end of the year when you want to make, okay, do we, do we move on from Christian Stewart or, or has he shown us enough to, to uh, continue on? Yeah, you know, it, it seems that we're, the Tigers are increasingly having a, a bit of a bottleneck. You know, they're not, they're not uh, overflowing with great young prospects, but they do have a lot of young players. And we've seen it a little bit with, uh, with Willie Castro and, and Isak Paredes. We'd kind of like to see... Freddie's play third base every day, but they like Castro too. They've got to find places at bats for him. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's this weird juggling act where you, you don't want to give up on Stewart too soon. And then, as you said, that that's a, a position where the options aren't uh, overflowing, uh, but, but we saw it with uh, Lugo and Candelario and, and we've seen, you know, that there's at a certain point, you just kind of, you got to put the guy who's performing and uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of tough to, to juggle that to me. Yeah, I mean, you got to. I think going with a hot hand to a certain extent, and you know that guys will sometimes make their own opportunities. Uh, I mean, Harold Castro is an example of a guy that was not even a prospect, and obviously he's never going to be everyday player per se. But he's he's a guy that nobody ever imagined even being a master really for the most part, and he got opportunity and he seized it. Uh, so you know, I think there, there's something said for rewards to take advantage of their opportunities and. Uh, Willie and Isak are going to get opportunities this this year, um, but you know, I, in the in the big picture, I mean, it's 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 still very much a work in progress. I would have loved to. I thought Jamer was playing such great defense at third base. I would have loved to see him stay there. But also, I understand at the same time they've got other options that they want to see at third base. To the injury to Crone, it, it made sense to take a look at those guys. Um, yeah. But you know, it's. It's still a, it's very much a work in progress, and to a certain extent, the, how guys handle these opportunities are going to dictate how they go going forward. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, fans are excited about Scooble and Mize and Predis, so I'm just kind of curious about uh, what your early impressions of those guys are, and uh, who you might think could be next among the the top prospects to come up. Yeah, I mean, I have been impressed with with Mize and Scooble, especially with Scooble, just really electric stuff. Uh, command has not really been there either star as much as you would like. Uh, and really we've seen that from, from both Mize and Scooble, a lot of, a lot of long counts, uh, a lot of falling behind uh, in counts, really more for, for Scooble than Mize. I thought Mize was pretty good at that until he got uh, the second and third and fourth inning uh, of his second start. Uh, but I, I mean, obviously the, we've seen the splitter will, will play in the big leagues. If there's any, if there's any doubt of that, uh, that, that doubt has been erased just in two games. I think that's, a positive note his splitter will play and his cutter has been a little bit more erratic but mm -hmm. when it's working that will play in the big league so i think those are good signs and i think you know in you can make an excuse you can you can do the what if game for every single start of every single major league uh pitcher ever uh but there were some what ifs you could do from the second start where if things had gone his way in a certain situation maybe he gets out of a jam and, and things look a little bit better in the line score 
Um, but, you know, that's what we talked about. It's the margin for error is zero in the big leagues. Stuff you can get away with at other, other levels, you can't get away in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, those are lessons that they're learning right now. Yeah, I mean, even like that, the ground ball yesterday by Nico Horner and that the, the, the fielding by Castro there, um, you know, I will give a lot of credit to Candelario, who's playing a position. I mean, he, he has some experience with it last year, but he's been doing a solid job at first base. I just it was just curious in terms of I know with usually they down in Toledo or Erie they'll say this guy is ready to go or what have you but the I don't know it does concern me a little bit that you have I know the the Greg Bird option was thrown out there or just suggested on among Twitter or social media but I don't know Greg Bird to me his numbers are decreasing every year but it, it does surprise me a little bit the Tigers have not considered any other choice but to put Candelario at first. Yeah, Frank Swindell who's sitting down there who's, I mean, again, maybe a 4A player depending on who you ask, but it just, with the adjustments on the fly, I think Candelario to me is one of the most surprising players in the sense that he's been able to adjust to a position that well and he's been hitting the heck out of the ball in the last uh, month or so. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when Crone was hurt, and, and, you know, going back to that, at that time, the Tigers were playing well. People were, you, you know, there's all the optimism about maybe they can make a run at the playoffs and all that sort of stuff. And my thought at the time was just bring up Schwindel or a dude like Schwindel, um, put him at first base. That way you don't disrupt the infield. That way Jamer keeps playing third where he's doing so well. And there's, there's minimal disruption in the infield. And I mean, I don't, I still think that was a good idea. Uh, but, you know, as things have gone downhill, from a developmental perspective, I mean, I can totally see what the Tigers are doing and getting at bats for Willie Castro and any sock Paredes. And mm-hmm. the downside of it is there's no doubt, and it's not Willie Castro's fault personally or Isak Paredes, although they have uh, struggled a bit. It, it's just collectively the infield defense has really gone downhill since CJ Crone uh, was injured. And I mean, I think that's that that hurts. That hurts. The, one of the reasons the Tigers were playing so well was I think the defense had made a huge step forward from last year to this year. That's taken some steps back since, uh, since Crone's injury. And I mean, realistically that is Crone is a nice player, a uh, MVP, but he, he's a nice player. I don't want to overstate his impact, but I do think if when, you, when the obituary season is written, the beginning of the end was, was the injury to, to CJ Crone because uh, it had an impact both in the lineup and on the infield defense, which subsequently had an impact on the pitching uh, because we've seen, you know, the pitchers that really need to be bailed out at a couple of opportunities were not bailed out because, uh, because the infield defense just hasn't been as good as it was. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, you know, you brought up the obituary for the season and it, it was, it was kind of interesting because, uh, you know, for the first I don't know, 10, 15 games or so, the Tigers looked like, Hey, that this uh, maybe they can make a run at this expanded playoffs, and then the nine-game losing streak hit, and it's like, well, all right, maybe not. So now, now they're sitting, I think, three games out of the eighth uh, playoff spot. So uh, you know, it may be time to look uh, at uh, trading again. Do you see any moves being made? It's such a strange year. Do you see them making any trades? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really don't, but that more because I don't think there's going to be a ton of interest more less than I don't think the Tigers. I mean, I think the Tigers would be willing to make a few deals. I just don't think there's going to be a many deals to make. Um, I, I would look at, I would think about, you know, people talk about the obvious ones, but there may be some less than obvious ones that it may be the Tigers would think about. Even so, like think of a, a name like 
Jose Cisnero, who's pitching really well right now. Relievers are going to be valuable commodities. The Tigers may look at him and, hey, we got this guy like a lottery ticket. He's 31 years old. Uh, we got him for virtually nothing. If we can flip him for something, you know, for something small, um, you know, let's let's sell what he's, he's hot. I mean, I think even even more so than like a Joe Jimenez, who's been mentioned plenty, but has struggled. And this is not going to be the best time to sell him, I don't think. Um, you know, it, it's obviously that the names that have been mentioned most the last couple of years, Matt Boyd, Mike, uh, Michael Fulmer, those are totally off the table. Um, you know, Daniel Norris would be an intriguing idea. He's pitched well, but as a reliever, you know, I'm not sure. Are the Tigers really going to maximize his value having just thrown, you know, 11 innings out of the bullpen this year? That's not a real extended showcase. Spencer Turnbull's an idea. Every time I mention that, people, you know, jump down my throat and say, oh, they shouldn't trade him. But, I mean, let's be realistic. The Tigers have a surplus in theory of starting. Turnbull is a guy who, well, until the last couple starts, you could say this is a chance to sell him high. I don't know. I, I don't. I just. I don't think that even even some of those names I mentioned. I don't think are going to fetch a whole awful lot on the market. And I'd, I'd be really surprised if the Tigers do something. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just about to publish a a Spencer Turnbull trade piece uh, in in a few minutes anyway. And one of, you know, one of the things that I wonder if the Tigers are looking at is, uh, you know, it's nice to have young, average, controlled, uh, you know, with, uh, starters with, with team control, but. The Tigers have now watched three pitchers like that lose a ton of value over the last few years in, in Boyd, Fulmer, and Norris. And it's like, I mean, you don't want to get uh, you know too aggressive, but you know, if you need bats, maybe now's the time. But yeah, it, well, it's, absolutely, it's so absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I was, I've been over two because I said they shouldn't trade Fulmer and they shouldn't trade Boyd. And obviously, I'm, I was wrong both times. And I, you know, you can't. Who knows what the situation was and what possibilities they could have fetched for either of those two guys, but there's no doubt that their value has since cratered. Um, and with Turnbull, I mean, a nice pitcher. I, I, I like him and certainly a, still a, a higher ceiling there, but also a tad erratic and, you know, within the context of the Tigers, the Tigers uh, you know, surplus versus the Tigers needs starting pitching uh, is young starting pitching is still a surplus and, you know, despite some improvements, I think there still is a, is some need for young position players. So if you could swing a deal, I mean, I think I think you have to listen to it. Especially yeah, for for somebody for possibly for depth or second base right now, because with you look at the situation across the board with Scope being a free just a one year deal, then you have to realize it just seems like right now the Tigers lack a second baseman that's ready to go coming in the next year or so. Um, that kind of leads into, you know, Chris, you mentioned, you guys both mentioned starting pitching and some of the surprises this season. One of them is, and we, I think we will probably get to see him this week, is Kenny uh, Miata, the pitcher for the Twins, who Twins traded for in the offseason, has done a really good job of being the ace for them. And he comes off, to me, as somewhat surprised because he's adjusted to the American League so quickly and given another compliment to Berrios. Is there any players, Tigers, or around the league-wise that have surprised you? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess I, I'm thinking mostly on the team that I saw most recently in the Indians. Just the, you know, if, if they get their rotation together, it's, it's the best rotation in baseball, uh, hands down. And, you know, you look at their lineup and – 
the lineup has underachieved greatly. If that, if that lineup reaches its potential, that's actually a pretty good team, which is, which is strange because, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people foresaw that or people maybe thought that the Indians were on the backside of their, of their winning uh, window of opportunity. Uh, but they've actually have a pretty good team. And you look at the importance of pitching in the playoffs, that could be a very dangerous playoff team. Uh, you know, I guess just broadly speaking, cause we've seen so much of the central division, the White Sox could be a scary team, not just this year, but for the next five years, they've got a, a lineup that, uh, you know, with a lot of young players that, uh, that could really be pretty dangerous. So I guess just broadly, we I've seen so much of the central. I feel, well, I guess that's all I've seen pretty much. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, those are, those are the, the ones that stand out for me. Abreu looks like, like he's lost some weight too. It looks like he's, he's been a different player for the White Sox, been a difference maker. And just been hitting the ball. The the whole month she was pretty impressive. What were you gonna say, Chris? I'm sorry. Oh no! Well, I could just say with with Abreu, you know, it's maybe that's an example of hey, these kids are fun. Let's do this. You know, not not being on lousy teams anymore. Suddenly he gets in shape and, and is having fun. But no, I was just gonna say, uh, you know, we're just kind of a a lowly blog in, in podcast, but we you know we were trying to get some sort of access to what's going on at Toledo and and nada. I'm curious if you've had any more luck trying to find out what's going on down there. No, in fact, they said from the get-go that it was going to be closed because really, realistically, like even, you know, the last two or three years, once the dog days of summer hit and, and uh, you know, the Tigers are out of contention, I mean, I would go to Toledo and Erie uh, quite a bit, uh, but that's not going to be an op- option this year. So I know, I mean, it's kind of strange because, for example, take Paredes and, uh, and Scooble, both guys were on the COVID list and, you know, because of that, Paredes was not a huge surprise, but school was a huge surprise. Uh, and we, cause we didn't really know what was going on down there. And, you know, I'll say Bonifacio for another reason, another example, he would not have been on my list of guys that I expected to be called up, but I assume he was raking the ball pretty well down there. And we just, we just never saw it by the same token. You could say, well, Derek Hill had such a phenomenal summer camp. Everybody was talking him up. Guardy was talking him up we have to kind of assume that he's not been lighting the world on fire down in, in, in Toledo. We really have no way of, of independently verifying that. So it is kind of an interesting situation. Um, we are kind of blind as to what is going on in, in the summer camp. And, you know, I have asked about it, but you know, you're, you're not getting a whole lot of detailed yeah. information other than just platitudes. Yeah. It's just strange to me the way it, it seems to be an organization by organization thing, because I believe yesterday the Dodgers put a live stream of a game at their summer camp. And it's like, Oh man, I'd like to see that. But we, yeah, yeah we get, we get, uh, and grabs. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's for a team that's sort of courted, uh, the idea of all these young prospects and in the future, you'd think that they would want to give fans a little bit more of a glimpse of that future. But, uh, I guess that's what they think they're doing with, uh, Freddie's miles and scoobles. So, I mean, yeah. And the yeah. member, uh, when we talked to the white Sox, uh, James Fox over there was telling us that, that they allowed, for, I think it was like a five-hour window of uh, the blogs and beat writers to go down to Chicago. It was their Chicago's camp, which is sounds like a um, John Schomburg. Hugh- Schomburg, yeah, which sounds like a John Hughes movie uh, city title. <laughs> Something like it just sounds like it's like everything of John Hughes. I always think of I forgot that town he's in, the fictional town, but it sounds like that's a neighboring town that would be yeah. a John Hughes high school rival thing. But oh, there with Aurora, Napierville, and stuff. Yeah, the uh, or Arlington Heights or whatever that is going down there, but. Uh, but at any rate, so Evan, I want talk a little more about Tigers Confidential, and I'm saying this as a as a paying customer. I think it's really cool how 
just in terms of how people can interact with it and, and kind of having the tips, not necessarily I should say tips, but just the information out there before the game, after the game. Uh, it's a really cool idea. And, and how's that going so far? And, and how can people sign up for it? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll be honest. I was even skeptical. I didn't know if it was going to work. Um, but I will say that of the people who sign up for trials, there's an 80% conversion rate. So 80 people stick around after the free trial, which is which is pretty phenomenal and tells wow. me that people are enjoying it. Um, I've, you know, the other the other comment I frequently get is why why sign up for this when there's Twitter? I say, well, it's like a personal Twitter. Like it's it literally it's somewhere. Um, you know, I try to be thoughtful and you know send out in infer in. in interesting informational texts throughout the day but also you know if you have a question if you want me to find out something if there's something you want to know more about you can just shoot me a text uh and i do reply and uh you know so it is kind of like a, a personal conversation with your your personal beat writer of sorts if you're interested in signing up just uh, i think the easiest way is just google m live tigers confidential you can also find that on my my twitter bio uh, on evan woodbury and uh, it's a 14-day free trial. It's very easy to cancel. No nonsense. All you do is hit send the text saying cancel if you want to end it. Um, so, you know, hope you'll give it a try. Yeah, I think I think that's a great idea. It's a, a cool way to interact with fans. And, and that way you don't get lost in kind of the nonsense of Twitter sometimes where people people are screaming about batting orders or, or whatever, you know. You, you, you post one tweet and then there's 48 different uh, tweets after it talking about some nonsense that you had nothing to do with. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a cool way to, to interact with fans for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually gotten ideas and, and some interesting feedback. You know, the, it's obviously there's, it's a pretty small subsection of the fan base that is going to subscribe to this type of thing, but it's a pretty intense and really informed and educated subset of the fan base. And so it's been it's been cool, uh, you know, getting feedback and even story ideas fr from people as well. Yeah, baseball people love to talk baseball. That's one of the fun things we found over the years. Is uh, no matter how uh, you know high high their stature is, if they like baseball, they'll talk to baseball about baseball with anybody. So yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Do you got anything else, Roger? Is that uh, it? Uh... I was gonna I was gonna go ahead and uh, go ahead and wrap it up. I'll let the next right. part yes later. Um, unless there's anything. Oh, um, no. I was no. Okay, never mind. I was thinking about. I was thinking about. <laughs> no, I was thinking about like your Spencer Turnbull trade thing. But I was thinking. Yeah. Never mind. Um, no. Oh, let's wrap it up here. I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Okay. So, all right. So, Evan, you can go find him on Twitter at all one word, lowercase Evan Woodbury with one E. I said sometimes I've seen people spell it with two E's. So, just want to get that clarified. And of course, mlive.com forward slash Tigers. Tigers Confidential. Seriously, it is. And I'm not, as a, as a paying customer, it's really, really cool to get some insight before and, and after the games. And he's down there covering the game and just again if you're not a big twitter person because we have some audience who are big facebook people but hate twitter um this is a good mm -hmm. way to go about getting informed of what's going on with the tigers evan thanks for taking your time today we really appreciate it thank you guys for having me i appreciate it thanks evan So our show is out of whack this week. We have no questions because we, you know, we're interview friendly this week. So we have questions for our guests, as Chris just mentioned. But it is time for the good, the bad, or excuse me, the inside numbers. See, I even fell out of order there with that. And this week, there's been a lot. This baseball, the last two weeks, everything in terms of baseball-wise, has just been a little bit amplified as we go head towards the trade deadline. But there's still good some numbers around. So, Chris, I'll let you kick off with your inside the number. 
oh, I've got an exciting, obscure one. <laughs> That's hard to explain. It is not really obscure, but, it, you know, it's one of those ex wopa things. But so I was looking around, and uh, uh, my inside the number is 1.228. And that would be the weighted on base average against Tigers pitchers on barrels. And we remember, of course, barrels are the best kind of contact for hitters to make. It's the best combination of exit velocity and launch angle. And typically the, you know, WOBA on those is around 1,500. So right now the Tigers are about 200 below average. And sure enough, it's uh, it's the second lowest in baseball just behind the Rangers. And the Tigers pitchers have the largest gulf between their weighted on base average on barrels and the expected weighted on base average on barrels. So, yeah, it's, it's 202 points right now. Uh, they've allowed 63 barrels, but only 44 hits. And you remember, these are things, I think the batting average in barrels is generally about 890 or something. Uh, so I don't know. Is it, could it be uh, the pitchers are getting lucky? Could it be the stadium? You know, the America's deep center field, kill some barrels. Is it small sample sizes? I, I think it's probably all three. They had the lowest, uh, the fourth lowest last year. So it seems to be something with them, fourth low, lowest uh, weighted on base average on barrels. But at that point, the Gulf is only 60 points rather than 200. So as hard as this is to believe, the Tigers, who have the second worst ERA in baseball right now and the third worst FIP, may be getting lucky, even as we speak. Um, and sure enough, they have the highest uh, expected weighted on base average among any team in baseball, 366. And it's 20 points higher than what they've actually done so far. So yes, somehow this pitching staff could and probably will be worse. And uh, that's depressing to me, but that's my inside the number. All right. So mine this week's a little more broad. I didn't go into a specific number or stat, if you will. But I did point out the number. My number is six as the six players with the WRC plus of over 100 for the Dodgers. And what's impressive about that is you look at some of the, in terms of just even batting averages, what have you. Case in point, you look at Cody Bellinger, who's kind of off to a, a, a rough start in terms of batting average. Two, he hit in 225s, but he's got eight home runs, so that you can oversee that a little bit. Mookie Betts is absurd. 166. Corey, Corey Seager, 152. And Justin Turner still turning it out really well. And he's got it at 130. But what's interesting, too, Chris, is that all these players, with the exception of Seager, have a walk rate. I'm sorry, and, and AJ Pollock, who, by the way, is having a, a nice rebound season for the Dodgers. All their walk rates within eight percent or nine within within eight to ten percent. Chris Taylor's got the highest at fifteen percent, and his WCR WRC plus is one eighteen. So it's it's just fascinating to me, Chris, in terms of just how much they're getting that done in terms of on base percentage and still. I mean. That's why they have the best record in all of baseball right now, and they're just getting it done across the board, and can't beat that. Yeah, you know what? Actually, when I was looking earlier, I was doing my my barrel diving, as it were. They, uh, I think Turner and Taylor were two of the uh, lowest batting averages on barrels so far. Like they've, I want to say Turner has hit like nine barrels and only has hits on five of them or something like that. It's it's kind of like the Nick Castellanos disorder where he was always getting barrels and not getting rewarded for it. So, yeah, those guys could be even better, which is scary. Yeah, and if you, and even in terms of the grand scheme of things, for in terms of, from a batting standpoint, next to the White Sox, they have a 6.8 F war. So, offensively speaking, they've just been destroying the ball. And as a team, they have the lowest, they have the lowest K percentage in all of baseball at 19%. 
So they're tied with I'm sorry, they're tied with the Astros for lowest K rate. So there you go. So our good and bad and ugly this week, Chris. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's funny is there was an art it was a discussion I had today about whether or not some of the Tigers would be well on a good baseball team or a bad baseball team, or excuse me, why is a player starting on this team? It's the Tigers. Uh, what the hell do you want? We're not the Dodgers, so mm-hmm. I, I hate that argument. Well, on on either team, well, he's on a major league team. He's on the Tigers. What do you want? I don't know. Yeah, it's. it's I, I hate no, that. No, I mean you got to you kind of you got to judge players by. Uh, by the current situation, really, I mean, it's it's it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the specific argument you're talking about there was uh, was our, our you know our friend Harris was talking about how I mean you wrote an article about how that the, the um, Jammer Candelario and Isaac Friday's trade actually looks like a win for Avila, which is probably his first win of a trade, right? And I, his argument was that you know Candelario probably wouldn't be playing on a good team. Which maybe not, but then uh, that kind of goes to your the premise of your piece, which is that Avila hasn't made many good trades, so the team is not any good. So I don't know. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's always fun to argue about this stuff. But yeah, it's a little it is fun, but also don't pick and choose your stats either with that. Pretty simple. As yeah. That. Well, that's uh, you know. I mean that's the nature of being a baseball fan. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, when there's been an argument, bring it all up. So, but anywho. Let's go on to the good and bad ugly this week. Uh, Chris, I'll let you lead that off as well. So I, I uh, last week I did the National or American League East, and this week I'm doing the NL East. I, mean, I did this last year, and I found it much easier to just do these by, by division. It helps. kind of narrows your focus a little bit. So my good is Bryce Harper. I know people don't particularly like that. You know, he's uh, probably with the most hated player in baseball now or most hated non-Astro now. Uh generally viewed as the most overrated player in baseball, but I really like it when he's playing up to his potential. I think it's good. Uh, and I think it's worth noting. So right now he's hitting 321, 466, 54 for an 1114 OPS and a 189 weighted runs created plus. He's just, he's just crushing the ball. He's got the highest uh, isolated power of his career. And the big change right now seems to be just the amount of contact he's making. He's, uh, he's striking out 5% less than his career average and 10% less more than last year. And I was digging into it, and I can't really find any change in his swing profile. You know, he's swinging about the same amount of times and getting, you know, swinging inside the zone about the same. So maybe it's just a hot streak. But still, it's fun to see when when a player of that caliber is playing to his potential. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, like even if he is the most hated, it's good to have a, a, a hated player who is uh, actually performing well rather than, you know, everybody hates this guy and he sucks. That's no fun. But uh, so that was my good. My uh, my bad is Trey Turner of the Washington Nationals, their shortstop. And this is kind of strange because offensively, he's doing great. He's hitting like 311. He's got six homers already, the, uh, just like Harper, the most power output he's ever had in his career. Looks really good. But it's the other parts of his game that are strangely uh, bad right now. So I was looking. Uh, this is Trey Turner, who, who's one of the fastest players in the game. Career 83% success rate on steals. Uh, but he's only two for five this year, and Fangraphs has him as the first, well, the worst base runner in all of baseball this year, which just doesn't compute to me. I mean, even if you're just counting steals, I would think he'd be turning singles into, you know, going first to third and second to home and stuff like that. But uh, and then beyond that, he's uh, according to you know the Fielding Bible, defensive uh, run saves, he's got a negative four defensive run saves right there, uh, or defensive runs above average, I guess is what they call it this year, 
which makes him the third worst shortstop in baseball. And again, he's been mostly an average shortstop throughout his career. So it's just, I probably chalk this up to small samples. I think that's kind of everything this year. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and he's still like the second fastest man in baseball. <laughs> so I don't think he's gotten slower and, and less athletic. It's just, just a strange uh, set of numbers right now. And maybe they'll correct. Maybe they won't. Maybe it's just the nature of baseball. So, uh, and then my ugly is uh, Rick Porcello's luck. Our old friend, Ricky Porcello. Uh, you know, we all know him. He was a ground ball pitcher when he was in Detroit. And, and ground ball pitchers tend to get unlucky sometimes. You know, balls sneak through. But even still, what, what Porcello's happened, had happened to him so far this year is really rough. Um, so far, his strikeout numbers and his walk numbers are better than his career averages. Uh, his home run percentage and his exit velocity are both the lowest of his career. And yet his ERA is 6.43, the worst, uh, third worst in the majors. His batting average on balls in play is 4.13, which is 100 points higher than his career averages. And his left on base percentage is 56%, which is 13% lower than his career average. So, yeah, I mean, it's like everything is going wrong for him right now. And I looked and I don't think it's the Mets defense. And Peter Alonzo and Dominic Smith aren't great first basemen, but everybody else is, is grading out pretty well. The you know, Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez now and J.D. Davis. I don't know if he's playing third, but so, I mean, I guess the good news there is his ERA is actually or his FIP is actually 3.05, which is the 15th best in baseball. <laughs> but, uh, man, you know, in a short season, it's going to it's hard to, to for that to even out for you. So ugly luck for Rick Porcello. Damn. The Mets always seem like they're cursed lately. So, well, not all the mm-hmm. time, but it just seems like they can't ever buy luck. But. They got that COVID curse. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a curse that's going around. So the good and bad ugly for me this week is starting pitching base. So the good is the starting White Sox starting rotation fresh off the Lucas Giolito no hitter last night. They're fifth in the major leagues in terms of F war at 2.8. And considering that the rotation is just him and Dallas Keuchel, essentially, it's pretty good. And we talked to James yeah. Fox. We, we had we were talking White Sox a couple of weeks ago about adding a starting pitcher at the trade deadline, perhaps like a third starter, because if Dane Dunning, I think, was sent back to camp, I believe. So do you pick up a guy like Lance Lynn? Because, I mean, the Rangers right now are kind of a free-for-all. But the White Sox rotation, all things considering with that offense, if they can get one more pitcher, who knows what happens. Although I saw yesterday, I think it was Jimenez, Eroy Jimenez crumbled. After the no hitter, after a celebration, I'm not sure what happened. I have to. Yeah, I saw that too, but I never, uh, I never found out what happened. I just kind of nobody seemed to be all that concerned. At least I, I was watching Gilito get interviewed, so that's strange. But I, yeah, I didn't even thought about that. Lance Lynn would make a lot of sense for them, and they could probably, you know, would they trade Andrew Vaughn for him? Maybe I don't know how much longer Lynn is under contract, but. Interesting. Continue. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. No, but it, it, considering too that they could get, I think, give up the White Sox could give up a second tier guy or maybe two second tier p- prospects for him. We'll see. I mean, Texas. I mean, John Daniels' days over in, in Texas should be gone soon. But bad. Speaking of, we talk about Texas being a dumpster fire. The Angels starting rotation. So I say that they're they have a their ERA. Well, the Tigers' ERA is seven point two five among starters and almost a run higher than the Angels. They're not managed by Joe Joe Madden. I mean, Joe Madden is one considered one of the best managers out there. A and he can only manage so much of his talent. But they do have deeper pockets. They are in LA. You, you expect a little more out of what's going on with the Angels. 
And also, to boot, Madden was ejected for the second time in three days yesterday. So it's not going well for him, all things considering what was going on with him in Chicago and Tampa Bay. But right now, the Angels are sitting at 10 and 20 or something like along those lines. I'll have to check the standings real quick. But it is the Angels are sitting at, yeah, 10 and 22. And they're 11 and a half back in the West, as we consider them donezo. So they have the worst record in the American League in terms of by losses. And then the ugly also contains also another team with starting pitching rotation issues, and that's the Boston Red Sox, Red Sox rather, who let go of Mike Schwerner, who we did see in Pawtucket last year against Toledo, Steven Gonslavis, and they cleared waivers for RJ Hernandez, uh, Alvarez, rather. They all cleared waivers and they were sent back to Pawtucket. It's bad enough that your your rotation is in bad shape. We get four A players that are not cutting it either. That's a problem. And the Red Sox starters zero away, by the way. You know, you, you look at the Tigers situation. It's 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 bad. I mean, everybody talks about the Tigers not starters going deep and what have you, and yada yada yada. I get that, and it's 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 bad. But the Red Sox right now, in terms of just Starting pitching, you have a negative six war from your starting staff right now. The Tigers are at least 0.2, but the Red Sox have a negative six war. <laughs> F war, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember a, a team cratering so quickly uh, outside of, like, you know, the fire sale Marlins. This is just remarkable. Yeah. I mean, Dabrowski got him that World Series, but... <laughs> he poisoned the well to do it or something. I, I, it's crazy. But I, I was looking uh, just for just for my own advocation. Lance Lynn is under contract uh, for the rest of this year and next year. And next year, I think he's only due $8 million. And uh, he's been this year and last year, he is tied for second in war among all pitchers in baseball, tied with Jacob deGrom in 0.1% by or 0.1 war behind Garrett Cole. So. I think uh, to trade for him, you're going to have to give up something because that's that's a lot of talent for uh, not much price. So anyway, yeah, carry on. By the way, Jimenez is in the sixth inning. That's weird. I just looked, yes. I just looked over and yes, Joe Jimenez is in the, the sixth inning to get some work in, and he just gave up a home run to Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, so that was weird. I just looked up to my TV and I just realized Jimenez is in there. So we're going to take a quick break. Maybe they're just trying to get all the homers out of his arm. <laughs> or maybe they put him on for trade. Ooh. Yeah. Nah, nah, that doesn't, that yes. doesn't yeah. well. But well, we're going to take Somebody a... looking for that career 6 ERA. <laughs> There's some teams out there desperate for pitching. The Giants need a couple relievers. Who knows? But yeah, we'll, that's true. we'll be back after the break. You're listening to Tigers SRD on the Tiger Minor League Report Network. <laughs> 